Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Beneath the Screen of the Ultra Critics. That was fitting. I'm joined, yeah. as always, by my co-host, Thad. Hi. And my other co-host, Kara. All hail the Space Empress. Oh, God, not this again. <laughs> Alright, so today we're doing a fun episode. We're comparing uh, the 1984 Nevening Story, the 1986 Labyrinth, and Because I Love Chaos, the 2018 of Inkland Time. I mean, it also connects to our previous episode, because we got Ava DuVernay again. Yes, Ava DuVernay, who, did, who took a swing. Man, she has a varied filmography, and I respect that. Yes, and I'm also sad because her new gods got canceled because of the Justice League director cut. Oh, oh. God, what a heartbreak. <laughs> it's like, well, we got that. We lost that, though, so I don't know if that's... Uh... That would have been... I don't know if it would have been... Like, it would have been good. I don't know if it would have <laughs> been great, but it would have been good. And it definitely would have been better than the director's cut Justice League. It would have been interesting... And like strange, and that's honestly what the DC stuff needs. Like it right. needs more Aquaman. Honestly, that's why I like about fewer... the DC stuff now. Yeah, like there wasn't the... a director's cut. Uh, that wasn't the... a director's cut. That was a Snyder cut. A director's cut is when they take the movie that yeah, exists. <laughs> that's true. And take footage from it and make it longer. Or you know what I discovered? Cuts. When you refilm a movie, it's just a <laughs> not fair. remake. That's yeah. not a director's cut. That's not what that no, is. You are... You're right. You're That's right. That's 100% you know what correct. I, you know what I discovered has a giant, uh, sorry for the further digression. Um, you know what I discovered has a giant, like, fan made extended cut scrounged together from multiple resources that I definitely need to watch? What? Waterworld. There's like a three hour version of Waterworld stitched together from, like, things that were in certain broadcast versions and not at like I I learned this very recently but it's not a new thing it's apparently been around for a while and I'm going to have to watch that I'll watch that uh, So Thad, are you familiar with the um hold on let me see if I can find it mm. Well I know you're familiar with Doc Savage Oh, I'm insulted that you would even ask that rhetorically. Right. But have you seen the 1975 movie? No, I have not. I know that it exists. I know about it, but I have not uh, found a copy yet. Okay. So the movie title is Doc Savage, The Man of Bronze. Of course. Right. Uh, there is a fan re-edit called the oh. Detarnished Version. <laughs> and what they have done is taken away everything that was beautiful about it. And did the Snyder thing of making it deathly serious. And I was like... Oh, no! And I'm like, why Doc would anyone give a crap about a Savage. deathly serious Doc Savage? Doc Savage is, is ridiculous. It's fine. It's understand, fine that it's ridiculous. Understand the original film score is by John Philip Sousa. Oh. And they took that out. Oh. It oh. took away the narration, which was pulpy. Much like oh, the Dime no. Store novels. And I was God. like, why do fans hate the things they love? I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, why do people hate If you hate don't like fun? Pulp, why would you be a fan of Doc Savage? That's, they believe oh. the original film 
is taking the piss out of the thing as opposed to just being tongue in cheek. I mean, I, I guess there's uh, there's precedent for this because there are people who are Batman fans who hate the '60s Batman, which I I've never <laughs> understood. I I mean, hell, I've even gotten to the point where like I can appreciate the camp of the Joel Schumacher movies right. in a way that I could not when I was a literal child. Right. Um, Those movies made I was. I walked out of those movies at nine years old and I turned to my mom and said, I told you that we weren't going to like it because the commercials were bad. (laughs) And that's Uh, back when trailers couldn't be trusted. Look, I mean, to be fair, how could you top the Tim Burton Batman duology? Like, that's just, those are perfect. But still, um, anyway, so uh, that's the none of this. Thaddeus, you top it with you top it with true. mask of the phantasm. Don't you ever true. have that kind of slander in this house again? We live here. <laughs> Not for long. I can say whatever I want. There's this place, and whoever lives in it after us. Hey, um, movies. So, have you? I'm guessing you guys have seen Labyrinth and Never Ending Story, but not A Wrinkle in Time. Yes. <laughs> Okay, so we're going to start off with The Wrinkle in Time, the movie okay. that spurred Brie Larson to make a statement to make her the most hated woman on the internet. Oh, I had forgotten about that. Yes! <laughs> what did she say? She said it wasn't made for white dudes, and it wasn't. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> and she was talking about how the film criticism needed uh, diversity because white oh, people... Oh, so she just said true things. <laughs> <laughs> Because a and, bunch of white people did also didn't love a wrinkle in time, but they were like savage and cruel about it, and opposed like realizing this movie doesn't care about me. <laughs> Look, I know that that Kara has a, a laundry list of criticisms of a wrinkle in time, but hers are the the complaints of largely a fan of the books who right. wishes that the movie that existed in her head existed in real life. I, right. I assume that's fair there, to describe. There's that, her. but yeah. Okay. So there are things like there, there are certain plot lines let's, that they left. Let's not let, hold on. Pause. Let's, let's describe, let's do the, uh, the plot line first yes. before okay. we get. This isn't, uh, these movies, because of the way their children's movies have, and I don't mean this in a mean way, have very similar plot lines. Yeah. Which well, is that's also why them, I chose them because they are almost aimed directly at children. And so they're structured much differently. Yeah. yeah, it goes back so, to like Peter Pan and any any number of like kid fantasy stuff. Right. So they all have essentially the same, you know, structure as an ordinary child thrust into a disordinary world, a call to action, a discovery of the self, a realization on the balance between the magic of childhood and necessities of adulthood responsibilities. Um, so the movie specifically of A Wrinkle in Time focuses on Meg, who is... Um, has two parents obviously and a little brother and she's kind of a math genius and four years ago her little her sorry her father disappeared just disappeared while doing studies on something called tesseracting or instantaneous travel through space and the instant transmission sorry she she um what's one of the interesting things is actually in the books um meg and her family are all white and she's actually a redhead with like curly hair. And in the movies, they've chosen to interpret a lot of the statements about her character and about her frustrations with her body into her being a young black girl with curly hair um, with biracial parent. Well, not biracial parents. She's a biracial girl with her dad is white and her mom is black. And then her little brother is adopted, which is not how it was in the books. And as someone who's a huge fan of the books, fine. 
<laughs> great, great choice. Great way to update it. And most of the thematic things about like, what is family? What does it mean when you don't know your parents? All of that stuff carries through. I think it was a really smart, interesting choice. So 100% on board with that. Yeah, not the, she, she, yeah I, I was, I, I may have oversold earlier. Not everything she has to, what she will personally have to say is a, a criticism. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, what ends up happening is three sort of uh, Charles Wallace is a child genius. He's six years old. Three, he introduces his sister and eventually uh, her schoolmate and friend Calvin to three magical women, Mrs. Who, Mrs. What's it and Mrs. Witch, which explain that their father has successfully traveled through the universe with the ability to tesseract or fold time or a wrinkle in time. And they go on an adventure to find him, finally finding her father in the clutches of monstrosity known only as It, that takes possession of Charles Wallace. And through the power of love, she manages both to rescue her father, her brother, and then return home with a sense that both that she is loved, that she is worthy of love, and that, as the movie explicitly states, her flaws are what make her beautiful. Um, I think that's a pretty good... Yeah, yeah. that, seems, that's, that mm-hmm. seems simple and direct, yeah. Yeah, a lot of simple tricks you can do with a wrinkle in time. <laughs> yeah. the The book is longer, so here's the thing: I will immediately cop to. Mm. They cut out several of my favorite scenes from the book, right? But I understand why. So there's a, a scene. So there's a moment where they're fighting the monstrosity known as it, which is like the psychic monster brain thing that forces everyone into like conformity to it, and it is capitalized it to its desire for perfect conformity and perfect belonging. Um, And there's a moment where it has Charles Wallace and they can't escape from it. So like Calvin, Meg and her father Tesseract teleport basically away to a different planet. And Meg is like traumatized by this. And she meets this monster that she ends up calling ant beast. This alien monster like helps her heal and like deal with her trauma. I always loved the ant beast sequence. I kind of understand why they had to cut it out. But I am really annoyed that I feel like the movie spent really long time being like, we're going to spend a lot of time and a lot of money on beautiful, picturesque distances. And this is the thing that, sorry, this is a rant. This is the thing that fucking kills me. People did not get why people had their minds blown by Lord of the Rings. The huge, Mm. beautiful vistas were real. (laughs) Or they felt real. This is the same thing that made uh, Fury Road so great. The huge open spaces were big fucking open spaces with tiny people in them. And so they spend so much money and so much time with these really, really expensive, nonsensical special effects that take away from what the horror of things are. Like, Yeah, I think think the the primary criticism that Kara and I both agree on as far as like the visual language of A Wrinkle in Time... Like, I think that the characters and the way that they look and everything are, are all very striking and, like, well-made up and interesting, and I like that. But the spaces lack the solidity of the other movies that we'll be talking about, even though those movies are, you know, matte paintings and stuff for a lot of their wide stuff. There's there's still, like, a certain kind of solidity that feels different. And it might just be because that's, like, the, the other two movies we're talking about are, like, touchstones of the visual language of fantasy for, I assume, all three of us. Well, yeah. I think there's a few things involved here. One is hmm. yes, and also we saw those movies as children. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And they well, have us. A... That is and the thing also... I'm curious about. Like, how would I respond to this movie if I saw it as a child? Because, but all three of these movies have an almost associative way of storytelling. 
Mm. Yes. yes. Like, there's a lot of, like, and if this was made for adults, this would be much more linear. It would be much mm. more... Definitely, definitely. ...structured and, like, character arcs, where this one is very much, you're along for a ride. And as far as the special effects, I agree to some degree. I agree to somewhat. I think part of that is when you work with special effects, you're, it's like anything else. It's a new muscle you have to work out. Yeah, yeah. It's like with Patty Jenkins' Wonder Woman. It's great, but there are moments when you're like, I can tell you're not used to special effects. Mm. The the other thing I feel is that there are lots of scenes, and Thais actually points this out, there are scenes, especially in Labyrinth, that are clearly there because they filmed them. They realized, however, they tweaked the story later, it didn't make sense, and they're like, puppets are expensive, and we filmed with the puppets, and it was really hard. Too late now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like like, there's... There's a certain lack of, like, Labyrinth out of all three of these, I think, is the most meandering in a certain <laughs> way. But and I, are, I love it. It's a great movie, but oof. The, there, are, there are several scenes. So, like, the, there's this one scene in The Wrinkle in Time where Mrs. Witch, I believe, turns into a giant flying, like, leaf dragon. Like, she's essentially a giant no, leaf Mrs. with What's a head. It? Mrs. Watson, right. I'm sorry, turns into a leaf dragon. And it's a kind of a cool scene where they're flying over this beautiful planet and they see like the monster that represents it in the sky. And then like Calvin falls and he's falling this huge distance. And like it's kind of a cool scene, but it's not in the book and it does nothing. It's just well, waving their dick around for no discernible purpose because it doesn't look that great. I'm not that impressed with it. And I don't know why it's there. And it's not very interesting. And that's how I felt I about a lot of this of movie. The... <laughs> Sorry. I think the huge thing is it loses a lot going to the small screen. Ooh, I could see that. Yeah, because mm. on the IMAX, that scene you described was breathtaking. Yeah, yeah, I could see that being a, a problem in, in this, this kind of movie. And because like this is also this... one of those movies where, unlike most blockbusters nowadays, it wasn't meant for your laptop. Hmm. And yeah, like it has, that actually has that, me thinking of like Avatar in that way, where like, yeah, it was definitely impressive, right. but I have no, I also don't have a lot of interest in watching Avatar on a normal screen. <laughs> I haven't either. I'm actually, I'm actually going to have to argue with you, Jeremiah, and I'm, I usually don't, but like, I can see the sort of smoothness of um, special effects on that dragon on my six-year-old Walmart TV that we inherited from Thad's parents. If I can see that sort of CGI smoothness, I would be able to see it on a big screen. And it's not... Oh, I'm not talking about the smoothness. I'm talking about just the expansiveness of it all. Yeah, but but the, the scene in general, it's, to be on, like, a lot of the scenes in this, it's a way to spend a lot of money on special effects for no discernible purpose. It's not in the books. The They've decided to tell a very different story, a very more traditional story of like angry girl learns the value of love. That is not the story of the book. Pretty resentful that they decided they had to shoehorn it into a lesser story, but okay. But I don't understand why <laughs> they decided to spend so much money instead of like, I'm sorry, like I'm so like it is, the monster it is not taking over the world through making people feel bad about themselves. It is a the monster of perfect conformity. That's what it is. The the whole structure plot is completely different and therefore less interesting. And instead of being like, okay, well, let's explain to you the plot of the movie you're actually seeing. It's like, why don't we just waste 10 minutes on a leaf dragon? 
I think okay. they did that simply because it was just for me when I first saw it, it was like just luxuriating in the wonder and the fantasy of it all. Because again, it's for kids, and most mm. kids' movies don't take time to breathe. True. Yeah, I think that uh, is interesting. Like one of the things that uh, I think about is. I don't know if it would have. I, I actually think we lose something in watching it next to these other two movies, because I think one of the things that would benefit most by comparison is looking at contemporaneous kids movies next to Wrinkle in Time, uh, which I think would make the it's sort of uh, sort of wandering fantasy uh, setup play better than watching it next to the same kind of thing, but from our own childhoods. You know what I mean? Or also, right. well, I think also Kara, uh, is an obsessive, crazy person who will not. Well, I, I agree with Kara to some degree that the script is the is the weakest link. Mm. Oh yeah, but yeah, I think definitely. there, but I think there are moments in the movie that are still incredibly be incredibly powerful, and almost there's a scene where they tessa to I forget where the Zach Galifianakis plays. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The happy meeting, and there's a. Yes, and uh, Meg tells the Oprah Winfrey character how gorgeous she thinks she is. Mm. Yes. Yeah. And she goes, thank you. You are too. Yeah. And so there's it's, a it's moment, the, and like it's, Kara mentioned it's, it's in the it's beginning, they really, very strong. Yeah, they focus on how black girls are made to feel ugly. Oh, this and that comes even, like that comes back again is, in such a good way with the like uh, the it version of her that is like offered right. at the end. We could make you this so you would fit in. Like it's that is really well but, woven. This this is actually um one of the things that they carried over from the book in a way I really 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 like. Um because there's sorry, there's this line in the book that always haunted me as a kid where she's like where um Meg is talking about her hair and she's like sometimes her mom would try to straighten it and then half would come out curly and half would come out straight and she would look plainer than ever. Like Meg is feels so ugly and she thinks her mother is so beautiful and she constantly is like looking at her mother's hair specifically and how it's like long and luxurious and straight as opposed to her own curly hair. And then the way they did that in the book, sorry, in the movie with her having curly hair and her mom having straightened hair was just like, like th- these are great choices. Like to be clear, that is, I have other frustrations with this. The The idea of like Meg's frustration with her looks is 100% from the book and something that I'm, I love the way that they chose to interpret that and carry that through the movie. Those were very good choices. To also, All to right. be fair, when your mother has goo goo ma you're bound to feel ugly. Um, But... Yeah, I think it's one of the things where I remember someone I work with when the Winkle in Time came out going, I don't know who this movie is for. I... And I was like, it's pretty obvious who this is for. <laughs> I, here's one of my biggest things. It's not about, you know, script or wasting time, but one of the biggest themes they chose to take out of the movie that I have actually a real, real problem with, like an actual problem. Because Calvin, the little boy that Meg meets, um, he's white in the books. They chose to make him white in the movie. Absolutely fine. Calvin's family is poor. Calvin's family is so Uh. poor, they can't afford to send him to school with shoes. 
Calvin is one of eight kids. And in the sequel, we find out that one reason that Calvin is so sweet is his dad doesn't yell at him about his homework. His dad beats him. His dad beats all the kids in their family. And so for Calvin's struggle to go from poverty to upper upper class white abuse really set my teeth on edge. And I think that's just a Disney thing. I wouldn't be surprised if that was a Disney thing. I wouldn't be surprised if it was a Disney thing, but it's one of the things that makes me um, angry about these movies. We're talking about who this movie is for. This movie is for children who have money because all right. of the children in this movie, all of the ways they talk and dress, all of the homes that we see and the environments that we see are for rich kids. These are not kids like me when I was a kid. To be clear, I was gotcha. beaten by my parents, but we were poor and I resonated <laughs> a lot with like I knew Calvin's I knew kids that came to school in the winter in sandals because they didn't have shoes and so I was very resentful that they chose to take out the reality of like how of poverty in this movie because it's too ugly to look at Mm. right that's yeah, that's fair. That's fair. And that was definitely an absent theme. Like, I would not have known that about the book from watching the movie. Yeah. Well, I think also, like, one of the things I admire about the movie is I watched the movie, and I know Kara complains about, like, a waste of time. But I was like, for once, I was like, you know, I'm glad I'm watching a movie that isn't trying to sell me a theme park ride or a future <laughs> theme park ride. It's you just doing its thing. I absolutely... uh Yes, I will agree <laughs> with that. It was, I I don't mind dream logic in film. I really don't. And I think that part of my frustration is they spent 10 minutes or however long. And again, the leaf dragon, which is cool. But then there's a great scene um, that they misinterpret where there's a scene where it, the brain, has is controlling this neighborhood and it has all these little kids bouncing balls in perfect synchronization. And it has this throbbing beat and it's meant to like sort of portray the horror. And in the movie, what they did is that scene kind of disappears to sort of maybe indicate it's not real or it's not there. Right. That's not what happens in the books. Those children are real. And when they go see it, the brain, to try and rescue her father... Um, they see one of the little kids can't bounce the ball in rhythm. They find that little girl trapped in a room. And every time she bounces the ball, she screams in horrifying agony as a way to teach her the consequences of not being like the others. So one oh, of Kara's main problems is that there wasn't enough nightmare fuel in. Uh, gotcha. In actually, movie. yeah, I think that's exactly <laughs> it. Like it's like which, they... which actually is another thing in comparison to uh, the other two. Like there is more stuff that will give you nightmares in. Well, yeah. And, uh, they made it, <laughs> Jeremiah. They made it less weird. They made it less weird and less scary. Now lean into it. Uh, I think. Okay, I think where you and I are diverging is on this very point: is a wrinkle yeah. in time for being a big budget Disney blockbuster in the modern cinematic landscape is pretty weird and pretty unlike anything else. <laughs> it's not as weird and creepy as what we grew up with because now they actually care about what kids think. <laughs> This is no, the part now, where I just now whisper. They are cowards and don't want to give us weird, obsessive nightmares about My favorite highly... game to play is when I watch reactors watch old movies from the 80s and 90s or even the 70s and go, this is PG? It's like, 
Yeah, it was, bud. That's what they shoved in front of my face when I was nine years old. Well, you know, just strong rock-a-doodle in the land before time energy, you know? like. Right. <laughs> uh, which, again, is why I, I still argue that, like, I think that this movie would have looked better to, uh, at least to me and Kara, if we didn't watch it side by side with, like, two massive touchstones of fantasy from our childhood. Right. Well, I think also like yeah. I enjoy. I enjoyed. I I enjoyed a wrinkle in time. It was a, it was a fun little little. Right. Ride. Well, that's uh, the reason why I put it in there. Simply because like this is the new version. Because again, yeah. we're looking at it as adults viewing it through the critical lens of this isn't like the book. Whereas yeah. I don't know how many kids have read the book, so how popular those books still are. That's a good question. I, I feel like the the young adult landscape is very focused on its own contemporaneous stuff. Like the furthest uh, they want to reach. Jeremiah, back, if this podcast is now just going to be about wounding me, like you need to let me know, okay? Like, <laughs> I how am I wounding you? <laughs> what do you mean, children don't read A Wrinkle in Time? Also, I was a freak kid, so I read that when I was like seven. I yeah. read books too when I was a kid. I'm just talking about the types of books. And yeah, like... yeah, Kara, don't forget, like. <laughs> A re- like things that are targeted at a re- at like the same like audience for the Wrinkle in Time books, like that's its own entire separate industry that is as big or maybe bigger than science fiction books generally. Yeah, like there's so much young adult sci-fi and fantasy now that it's I. I don't know. Like, I'm actually, like, I hadn't thought of that. I'm very curious as to, like... like if, there's if, like, an earnestness to A Wrinkle in Time that's missing from a lot of big-budget movies. I would agree. There's, like, movie. there's a simple child's faith in love that you don't normally get in a movie aimed at kids. I would I would agree to that. And um, I, I, think, I think that most of my first... It's hard to separate it again from the book I have read probably 40 or 50 times at this point. I understand um, because I feel the same I way would... about Stardust the movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> but I, but the one thing I would say is that A Wrinkle in Time is trying to say something. And it's. I wish that they had said it a little differently in some ways. But, but their fundamental statement of like the importance of love and don't change yourself they do it better than most because I feel like most movies aimed at kids are like, change yourself to be more attractive and you'll have friends. And this movie was like, no. <laughs> right. Okay. You can, if you just take off your glasses and change your hair, you will no longer be ugly. Well, you will no longer be alone. You're the chosen one because ah, the dark yeah. Lord managed not to kill you. Yeah. 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 But yeah, no, it's like, I, I agree that a wrinkle in time has flaws, but for me, the flaws make it interesting. But I do understand being a fan of the book and coming to an adaptation that isn't up to snuff. But I'm also of the mind that adaptations, I don't care. <laughs> I the, the, the things that I am most frustrated with is the themes that the book was warning you about with conformity and stuff. I right. feel like they leaned away from that being literal and into it being metaphorical and then other things being weird that weren't i'm like no 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 make this scary thing weird in a way right. that's incredibly hard to understand because that's what fear is well it's yeah, kind of like um sorry go ahead no I was, I was just gonna say like i feel like and i don't want to be uh, like anytime comparing again like movies we grew up with to movies that are made for people who are yeah. kids now is always a little rough but I do feel like modern Disney and, and, and a lot of other places that are, you know, make mo- movies for kids 
and I think we talked about this when we talked about like Rockadoodle and stuff. Like they shy away from genuinely putting forth like fear. Yeah. And I feel like that is uh now I'm also someone who was scared by random weird shit in movies that isn't actually scary. Like I was horrified <laughs> at the opening like 20 minutes right. of PT for no reason. But uh <laughs> side note, have either one of you seen Shazam? Oh, yes, God, we yes. love Shazam. Okay, yeah. because that has also, I think, what you talk about in terms of like, there's a moment, no moments that are terrifying to a child. Yeah, yeah. Oh God, yeah. dude, there are moments in Labyrinth that were terrifying <laughs> to me. It was my favorite movie, and there are parts of that that I have oh, yeah. nightmares about to this day. <laughs> okay, so we're moving on from Duvernay's uh, Wrinkle in Time into. Jim Henson's Labyrinth. Yeah. Ironically, like final word on Wrinkle in Time. Ironically, a movie that's not really for us and that we all get different things out of. <laughs> so, yeah, it's weird how that works. I don't understand. I'm sure it's somebody else. One major flaw with Labyrinth. Uh-huh. Not enough. And it David didn't Cohen, bother me as a child. But it's the only and it doesn't even bother me now. It's just mm-hmm. one of the things where as an adult I'm like, why isn't Toby older? What do you mean? He's a baby. He's a baby, right? But like, it seems like for as angry as she is at the kid for him breaking into her room and stealing stuff. <laughs> okay, yes, he can't do that. He can't walk well. He's <laughs> and, like, not he the should one be that like took four them. or five. I mean, look, okay, you my both interpretation it that way. of that. I just assumed that the stepmom took Took the bear and gave it to... But that also makes no sense because why would you be like, why is my stepdaughter mad at me? I go into her room and give a literal (laughs) toddler her toys to smear poop and vomit all over. I can't understand why she treats me like I'm a bitch. I I wonder. Why should we trust that the step... Maybe the stepmother is a bitch. (laughs) I love how immediately we descended into chaos with the labyrinth because the labyrinth is nothing but cinematic chaos. I actually wrote that down in my notes that I wanted to talk about, which is, wait, who took the bear? <laughs> uh, doesn't, doesn't matter. Also, this is the opposite where of like the standard fair. So in A Wrinkle in Time, we get adults are incredibly unreasonable and unfair to Meg, who has been deeply traumatized. And they, they literally say to her, like, are you going to get over your father's mysterious disappearance and abandonment of his family? Or are you going to still be annoying and not too good yeah, at like, math in school? Like her getting, her getting mad at that one like stuck up kid and hitting her in the face with a, a basketball after the, the bully girl literally was like, Oh, it's obvious why your father abandoned you. Like, that's the most understandable reason to deck a child. Like, an adult would hit that child. Like, are you kidding me? And then we have Sarah, who comes home, and her stepmom is like, would you babysit the baby? And she's like, ah. And her stepmom is like, if you're busy, you could just tell us. And she's like, how would you know? You've never asked. And they're like, that's because we assumed you would tell us. Are you busy? And she's like, nah. And, like, runs away. And it's, it's, it's a Dorothy situation because... Uh, in the Wizard of Oz, Dorothy is supposed to be like 10 or 11, but they had to get a 16-year-old to play her. Right. And so that's why it comes off as weird to adults. Like, as an an older person, I realized that Sarah is supposed to be maybe like 13, even though the actress is clearly much older. <laughs> so just, right. there, there's a little bit of a thing there where it's like, I Sarah doesn't seem okay in a way that you wouldn't <laughs> normally get from a simple divorce. She's right. like, I'm so mistreated. I'm like, like, girl, you have your own room. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> A, you have your own room. 
they seem to be pretty cool. And also, I just want you to know, like, on one hand, yes, but like, she is acting like a teenager yeah. in a sense it's that high. it's just pure, unadulterated emotion. This is okay. This is and one of no- those. This is one of those things that people say to me. And I'm not going to say I wasn't a very emotional, overactive teenager. But if I had spoken to my parents like this. Oh, yeah. yeah, I would have been put down. (laughs) I would have had my face cracked. Like, here's the thing. I don't actually know what would have happened if I spoke to my parents like that because I fear death. <laughs> my right, parents... but also the movie wouldn't have probably gone anywhere if that was what happened. Right. Yeah, it's, it's just children. <laughs> like even as a kid, I'm like these children in movies talk to their parents in ways that I am surprised they have lived. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, so the labyrinth is of the three, the one that's not based on a, a book. Hmm. Yeah. It is the one that has the weirdest pedigree of a screenplay, though, because mm. A Wrinkle in Time is uh, adapted from a Madeline, Madeline La Ingle book by Jennifer Lee and Jeffrey Stockwell. And uh, Jennifer Lee has like, done Frozen, Frozen 2, like big stuff, whereas mm. Neverending Story, you have the main script is by Terry Jones yeah. of Monty Python fame. Henson himself, Laura Phillips, Elaine May, and some schmuck named George Lucas. Yeah, what? What? A, who? Whoever heard of that? But it's it's, 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 it's like nice to know name. that somehow nobody's who never went anywhere does ha- do have one or two credits to their name. You know, it's, it's nice. To, it gives me hope that someday I too will have a worthwhile credit. Well, it also explains just how seemingly random Labyrinth is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I do want to really quick um, for those who somehow managed to miss upon oh, yeah, this yeah. cultural touchstone. Uh, Sarah is a young girl with a baby brother who impulsively asks the goblins that she does not believe in to steal him away. And then the goblin King played by David Bowie, who is <laughs> in love with her question concern, <laughs> uh, comes and takes him away. And she goes through the labyrinth learning to stop whining that things are not fair and that he has no power over her, goes to the labyrinth, makes friends, makes enemies, sings songs. There's a lot of songs in this, has some misadventures, and ultimately determines that she will take her brother back from the Goblin King and stop being such a miserable cow. <laughs> and then at the end, uh, there's that has the end of my favorite scene where like she's back in her room. She has barely won her brother back from the Goblin King, and all of her friends appear in her mirror, just in her mirror. If she checks behind her, they're not there, and they're like, you know, should you need us, we'll still be here. And a big part of this movie is her learning to put away childish things, that childish drama gets you nothing <laughs> and is useless. Like, there are real things. There's real love. There's real pain. There are human beings. And she's like, sometimes I'll just need you for no reason at all. And then they appear in her room and they have a dance party, but the Goblin King is left outside. And that, as a kid, that made me really sad. But also... The theme of, yes, you need to put away childish things because you have to grow up, but also keep you can keep them. You just can't live in them anymore. Like, that's well, a, that's a good theme. The fact that of all the people telling that story is Jim Henson. Yeah. <laughs> and 
<laughs> the fact that, yes, that is somewhat a theme in the movie, but every time it makes that statement, it immediately makes None. a complete polar opposite statement. <laughs> well, I think that the scene where she loses her memory and ends up in a junkyard and this um, uh, creature starts to, she ends up in a junkyard that has a copy of her room in it. And this creature who is covered in junk and Horde starts to stack stuff on her so she too will be covered in junk and Horde. And she suddenly goes, this is just stuff. It's not as important as what I'm trying to do, i.e. find her brother. Right. Um, I, I think that that's the moment that sort of pushes this theme. It's also about sexuality, which is why they had to have David Poet, uh, David Bowie in a giant... You're going to say codpiece, but I'm going to say what it is, like a, a, a dick extension. Like, I don't... Weird. I love this movie. <laughs> I understand this movie was very special for a lot of people <laughs> in a way that wasn't for me, but I was obsessed with this movie between four and six. I have it on VHS. We taped off a TV, and I think the tape may be slightly damaged because I watched it so many times. I have the soundtrack on my phone, and I still listen to it. Frequently. Oh, the David Bowie songs were fantastic. I was I was that girl when you're like, what kind of girl is Kara in like high school? Like I was <laughs> the girl that was obsessed with Labyrinth. When people are like, I like Labyrinth too. I'm like, tell me what year you first watched it because it was in the last three years. We can't be friends. <laughs> like I was that girl. She was, I was the mean goth girl. <laughs> I was. I was like, if you didn't see the Nightmare Before Christmas in theaters, I have no use for you. <laughs> like. Uh, I wasn't a mean goth girl. I really <laughs> but yeah, uh, like I, I really do love that the final confrontation is Bowie singing a ballad at her as she runs around an MC Escher painting. Uh, yeah, and then just like says "screw it," jumps down, confronts him in a brand new outfit, and says, <laughs> "You have no power over me," as if they were in some sort of tortured, twisted relationship. Yeah. 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 Well, he and again, like he's very clearly like kind of in love with her, right? Which is a whole other thing about Goblin Kings. And <laughs> I have done this all for you. I'm exhausted for the expectations. <laughs> I co- you cowered in front of me, and I was frightening. I can say that whole movie yeah, in tandem with the movie, and I did. What's really interesting about the labyrinth is how it starts off already awkward. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like it refuses to let you settle. It moves real fast, and also <laughs> in this whole movie with Henson effects, like it's it's Henson Bowie eighties stuff. Like of all of that weird, weird, bizarre thing, and that movie is hands down the weirdest thing. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! I know what this is. Is it so, the, uh, the puppets that move the heads off? Yeah. Yeah. The oh, thing God. that terrify every child, yes. <laughs> and the then take the eyes is... out? Like... No, that's, that's, no, the weirdest thing, oh, that is a top contender, though. Jesus, but that scene terrifies me as a kid. Still terrifies me. Um, no, it's that Toby is in a room in a crib. This baby's in a room with a crib. And in that room is a full-size bed. And I always just assumed that he slept with her parents. But when you do like a wide shot of the room, you see kids' toys. And I realized that for some reason, the nursery has almost no children's toys and an adult bed. 
And I'm like, no wonder they had to keep stealing toys from their child, from their teenager's room. They forgot to buy ones for their baby. And like, also the nursery is white, which is just a choice and a half. <laughs> well, like so- it's, it's, it's one of the most rich people things I've ever seen. And actually weirdly gives insight into like, oh, maybe these parents are like abusive. <laughs> Someone made the, um, I forget why I saw it, but someone made the point. If you look in um, Sarah's room, you can see her mother was an actress and she was having an affair with an actor who looked like David Bowie. And that's why the Goblin King. And I'm like, that's a like, I want you to know I watched that movie much like uh, a gazillion times. Mm, mm. And there's no way you could see that on VHS. That has to be like a DVD discovery. (laughs) (laughs) Or in theaters, like. Right. Yeah. And yeah, that's back that's, in the day when you just had to go see every damn show. <laughs> that that's definitely like uh, a dawn of the internet discovery. I did point it out to Thaddeus because I found that out in adulthood as well. But like, yeah, to me, that's yeah, that very is a clearly... layer of uh, storytelling that is, that's that's just some great background. I, I, yeah, I don't think that's necessarily storytelling because like it's not storytelling if there's no way to really discern it. It's an <laughs> Easter egg. Like, well, yeah, but like movies weren't made to be watched on VHS at that. Like they're made thea- to to be right. like we now live in a terrible, disgusting era where <laughs> movies are made to be watched at home. This is true. Uh, although um, watching things at home, like the screens we have now, would still allow you to see details like that. So I guess that's not a good example. I would also I argue first. that Terry Jones is not a linear man to begin with. Yeah, well, Terry Jones is is like an expert in like, uh, oh hell, what what is like mythology or something, right? And I can't imagine what Henson was expecting. <laughs> and I don't know if Labyrinth was it because he had like seven other people who were also incredibly not like each other. Elaine May and Joyce Lucas is a heck of a duo. Oh yeah, that was it. Jo- Jones is also like an actual medieval historian. Like, oh, okay. He, not only was he a, a member of Monty Python, he's also like a legit. He uh, was uh, rather he was like a legit respected medievalist. Like <laughs> he's like that's that's just a thing that he, like. Wow. <laughs> uh, sorry, I was reading about Terry Jones again the other night. And I was just That's like, fine. God, this man had layers. But yeah, no, the the thing about the Labyrinth is much like with the Inkland Time, it's like it is so aimed at children. It is not structured at all. Only mm. this one is even like really hardcore, almost not structured to the point where it's like. Well, it's yeah. a dream. You, kind of, it feels kind like, of even though I know you couldn't because of the special effects, did you just like make this up as you go along? <laughs> yeah, like that's the weirdest thing about movies like this or like animated films that don't make a lot of sense is like, it took you eight months to make this <laughs> pointless sequence. Like, I don't understand. Also, How? can I just say there's a certain irony to the fact that I think easily the most emotive and uh like expressive and kind of mind-breaking puppets in the movie are actually the ones where it's just hands making a bunch of different faces <laughs> she said don't she, she said chose don't now. Now. is down wrong too late now uh, <laughs> i love those <laughs> it's like like those uh, there's an imagination on display in the labyrinth that is because of Simpson. I think yeah. it's it's not like it's not in the other two, but it's more potent in the labyrinth. Well it's also Hansen 
unattached to any of the like solid Henson things. Right. It's like as as creative and imaginative as Muppet things can be, there is a core to that. They're Muppets, right. they do Muppet things. This is something else. Well, also the core of Muppets is the fact that the Muppets know the Muppets. Yeah. <laughs> and the core of the Labyrinth is these people believe they are real. <laughs> and just just the level of like a lot of the, the stuff with the goblins and stuff is just so amazing. And also um, the giant uh, just runny buttholes in the, uh, yeah! the Swamp of Infinite Stench. <laughs> or the I have to say... Stench. The Bog of Eternal Stench. That's it, damn it. As a production design. <laughs> I know, yeah. right? Does uh, so much to convey the stench visually. Yeah. Without do, and actually you know, has that, it's visually and the Foley effects, the way that oh, yeah. the bubbles yeah. pop. And you don't see, it just looks like a swamp. Yeah. So gross. <laughs> swamp full but of bubbles. The way Henson and... Well, just the best part, she's like, I've never smelled anything like it. It smells like, and then you see a giant farting butthole <laughs> fart. Yeah, like, a big old swamp butthole. And then, like, sort of, like, vomit up, like, swamp water, and you're instantly like, I know what this smells like. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the chili oh. down sequence is terrifying. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, it is the worst thing I've ever seen, and I don't know why it's there. Well, it's you know what it is. It's like those like hallucinatory elephants from the the heffalumps or whatever from Winnie the Pooh. Heffalumps like, and woozles. Yeah, it's time. It's time for it's time for things to get real weird. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Winnie the Pooh! Hold on, um, your hold, hold on to your butts, kids. It's just gonna get weird. <laughs> um, I, I, also, I Winnie the Pooh doesn't get credit for just how truly bizarre that movie. <laughs> those stories are sometimes. Yeah. I, I, I do want to bring up one thing. So if if it were me doing it, mm -hmm. I wouldn't uh, what I would consider the ideal pairing with Labyrinth is actually Legend. Ah, I was gonna bring up Legend. I've but, never seen Legend, so I never would have entered my You haven't seen the Legend? Oh, you sickened me. Honestly, part of me just wants him to see how many times I can make care make that sound. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I think the fact that I'm like, yeah, you know, Labyrinth and Legend, some of the greatest movies of my childhood, along with like Rockadoodle and um, The Nightmare Before Christmas. And uh, oh, what's the last one that all of the weird girls watch? Oh, yeah. The Land Before Time. I, I think that, that expresses a lot about why I am the way I am. I love how you call The and, Land Before Time the one all the weird girls watch. And I'm like, you mean the movie with all the Pizza Hut toys? Like, it was very no, mainstream. Inescapable. <laughs> those, 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 like, intensely yeah, plastic smelling yeah. immovable puppets. <laughs> Yeah, that was like that wasn't no that wasn't like a niche Sorry. thing. That was a huge, 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 huge. Push. <laughs> But uh, although I will say, uh, wait, I'm hold not on like... one thing real quick. Mm -hmm. The weird glitter that they end up using <laughs> on everything, like there's something about practical special effect fake trees that they're like, mm -hmm. you know what, make it look slimy, but not gross slimy. Put a little glitter in it. <laughs> And I don't know why that was such a common thing, but you see it in the never-ending story as well, and you see it in Legend. They're like, oh, we have to make fake oh, special effect like trees, I... cover them in glitter slime. And I don't look. If I we don't know what's up with that. If slash when we come back to fantasy films, we, we got to make Jeremiah watch Legend because there's a lot of things to talk about. But honestly, one of the ones that isn't talked about enough to me is uh, Tom Cruise's performance is maybe one of the most convincing this is a child who grew up in a forest without parents uh, performances that I've ever seen. 
Yeah. Sounds like Tom Cruise unhinged. Great. No, no, it's 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 in like a charming fairy tale way, but still like, oh, there's something wrong with him. All right, so we we run out of time, so we got to move on to the never ending story. Oh, Wolfgang Petersons. Never ending story is about a young man named Bastion who fi- who finds a magical book, goes up and reads it in the attic. It's about a boy named Atreyu, as many adventures his horse dies, and he finds out that in order to save his magical master land called Fantasia, he needs to give the childlike empress a new name. And as the story goes on, you slowly realize, and so does Bastion, that the book is involving him, that as he's reading it, he's becoming more involved in the story, and ultimately ends with the important discovery of inherently believing in the magic of childhood, telling yourself your fantasy story, sinking to schizophrenia, and torturing your bullies with a giant dragon. <laughs> yep, that's um, all I a luck dragon. It should be uh, specified. Yeah, also, uh, one of my favorite bits is during the climax of the never-ending story when the the empress is explaining what's going on to Atreyu <clears throat> as it's as it's shifting over to uh, Bastion, understanding what's going on. She also mentions the fact that she is aware of the audience watching Bastion watch this. Right, oh, yeah. like she goes fucking layers deep. Oh, um, it's, it's weird meta stuff. It's the most important part to Thaddeus. It Let absolutely me find a is. pocket where I keep my shock. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Fun. Do you want to go back to the the first thirty minutes of this? That were you talking about a book? <laughs> you know what? All hail the space queen. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, speaking of, have you guys either one of you read the Never Ending by are Michael Ende? Yes. Hmm? I did. Okay. Uh, the first half of the book is great. The second half is trash. Okay, so the movie ends oh, about 40 pages half. into the book. Yeah, yeah, that's the part that's good. Like, it ends quick. Yeah, and everything else is enough in the story, too. Not so good. Um, <laughs> and it's not good. But, yeah. Well, also, the but, sequel but the movie itself until, like, the 90s or something, wasn't it? Hmm? Wasn't the sequel? Yeah, it was made. It was nineteen ninety, starring yeah. Jonathan Brandis. Mm. Um, of course, it has the classic song, theme song, by the yeah, band. I am all of a sudden blanking on. Oh yeah, Passport. I mean, just a great Klaus Doltinger. So. Part of the magic, I think, of Never Any Stories is basically a German film made for the U.S. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's real weird. Uh, the, the kids have square backpacks. There's a lot of things when you realize it's a German movie, um, especially like with uh, some of the sound and stuff. You're like, oh, they redubbed people. And yeah. some of the things, like some of the streets and stuff don't look right. But the movie is so beautiful it doesn't make a lot of sense but it is so no like the <laughs> there, there's this part where he meets these phoenixes the blue ones the the oracles and they're these giant statues the that glow with a blue sphinxes thank you no they're the oracles oh i said phoenix didn't i yeah. um they're these giant glowing blue statues are explained to atreyu what's happening and as they're talking to him the camera rapidly flips back and forth between the two of them as their statue faces disintegrate and fall apart and it is visually one amazing it's unreal like it's it's so good yeah well, honestly, yeah, I think that like, so... one of the things that uh, that Kara and I talked about while we were watching it, uh, especially from just from the beginning of the movie, this is a movie that does like scale, like uh, different scales, like giant and small things uh, and all of that. Like the 
the only movies that do that as well and better are the Lord of the Rings movies. Like this right. is a movie that does a great job of making things look huge and small. So here's a bit of trivia that Kara will like. Yay! It's for me. Never any story shot by Jost Vacano, who has worked with Paul Verhoeven on several films, including ah. Starship Troopers. Mm. Ah, yes! <laughs> I love that movie. That's, that's uh, but yeah, no, um, Never Any Story um, is, uh, was a favorite of mine, but also out of all the most of the kids' movies I watched at that time, The Gamork, The Servant of the Nothing, was mm. probably the most simple but terrifying thing I saw outside of Jaws. Also, uh, probably the first time, if I'm looking at my life chronologically, probably the first time I saw the Sam Raimi-style chase cam used. Ooh, that's a good point. Yeah. I'm just going to go with Atreyu, Atreyu's horse, what was it named? Atrax? Artex. Artex. Artex dying. That was also, that was a huge depressing moment. (laughs) His horse literally dies of depression. Like, metaphors, (laughs) for the rest of my life, like, the metaphor of depression is literally about slowly sinking into a muddy hole that I can't climb out of. And I did not realize where I got that metaphor for sadness from until I (laughs) rewatched this movie. And I'm like, oh. And we'll discuss that with our therapist. <laughs> well, that's written down. This goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Like, this was a movie aimed almost squarely at kids because, as an adult, it it is so almost what's the word I'm looking for? Like, abstract in a storytelling. Mm. Yeah, because like, there's a lot of meta, but like there are rough cuts and transitions. In a mm. way that, as a child, it doesn't bother you because the language of film isn't like embedded into well, your story. I wouldn't even necessarily. I would say what to me what what I see a lot of is it is drawing very directly from like fairy tale storytelling. Yes, like those those kinds. Of, it's it's just like we don't often see that so sort of faithfully adapted in movies. Like well, most fairy tale movies, like Disney ones, tend to have a very tight and clear structure, especially as they get more modern. But uh, like I think it's a little, they're a little more dreamy in like the early Disney animated like fairy tale movies. But well, um, it, it makes sense because it's a German film, and if yeah, 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 it doesn't matter that they filmed in English for an American audience. They had that German like capability, which is like kids will figure it out, or you know they'll be eaten by wolves. I don't really care. <laughs> On to the next thing. We're not gonna, we're not gonna cater. We're gonna make a movie we, they want to buy, but we're not gonna make it fo- easy for them. Right. Keep going. More monsters. <laughs> well, like, and it's one of the things where, like, it does a great job of world building without setting anything up. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's just, oh, there's the uh, one of the old ones. What's that? A giant turtle with a cold? Okay. What's next? <laughs> okay. What's next? <laughs> yes, yeah, just keep it moving. Come on, keep it moving. And one and two and three. Look, Vic <laughs> was rescued by a luck dragon. Keep it moving. Well, I I remember hearing someone complain about the the giant turtle scene, like finding it obnoxious with the constant sneezing. And I'm like, as an adult, yes. As a child, child couldn't get enough great. of that. No, it's, it's a great bit. Are you kidding me? Come on, where's your sense of uh, laughing at butthole swamps? But like, it's a thing. Like, as a child, pipe fights cannot go on long enough. As an yeah. adult, you're like, there's a finite amount of time. 
Well, I also want to point out that it happens in Jurassic Park that, like, the little girl gets sneezed on by a dinosaur. There is nothing children love more than giant things sneezing on kids. Yeah. I would argue in the defense of the random, mysterious person with no name who we don't know who they are. (laughs) (laughs) The the turtle scene is repetitive, whereas the Jurassic Park scene did it once. Look, the lifeblood of Nickelodeon through our childhood was based (laughs) on people getting doused in weird slimes. Yes. I I do agree. Like, again, art doesn't exist in a vacuum, and we existed (laughs) in a time of Nickelodeon when you can't say that on television. God, that was such a weird show. Why did we allow that to... Oh, I loved it. We were children. We had no power, but it was also perfect. (laughs) Also, yes, as a child, I really had no control over programming. (laughs) Wasn't there one of the things, you can't say that on television, that implied that the disgusting cafeteria or restaurant guy was making hamburgers out of children? I mean, that That would pick his nose a lot and throw it into the food. Uh, There was one where they're like, why does this taste so bad? And he like reaches under the counter and takes out a little girl who's like gagged and like kicking him and is like, don't worry about it. And stuffs her back under the counter. (laughs) I remember watching this as a kid like, are they going to eat her? She can show up in future episodes. (laughs) (sighs) Uh, I I honestly miss the two league Bug nutty, wild, and glory days of Nickel. Yeah, and... like kids' TV when it wasn't sure what it was doing was the best. <laughs> when uh, it was just like, what's the weirdest we could be? Erie, I... Indiana. That sounds weird. Oh yeah, I think I think one thing I would like to say though is so Sarah is older. She's a teenager, and she's dressed in pretty normal clothes and like this weird flowy shirt. And then when you look at Sebastian, Bastion, I'm sorry, from the Evernean story, he's wearing like a t-shirt and jeans that are kind of like 80s awkward. Right. But the, the one thing is the kids in um, A Wrinkle in Time, with the exception of Charles Wallace, are dressed like children, but still kind of nice children. They're kind of cool children. Yeah. And I'm like, again, like, why can't they be dressed in like t-shirts that are like adult extra smalls and you get the wings <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, why aren't they more ugly as children? I will say the thing that I noticed the most in Never Ending Story as an mm-hmm. adult that never I never saw as a child, mostly because as a child I'm watching the other children. Mm-hmm. And also because Never Ending Story out of all three of those, I think, is the most from a child's point of view. I like that both of these have a scene where a parent is either dead or disappeared and an adult looks at a kid and is like, are you going to get over this or not? (laughs) Which I'm getting to, Gerald McGlaney as the father, major dad himself. (laughs) Or, for those of you who watch Simon and Simon, um, he's in the background making this drink. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, what, what are you putting in your egg. body, McCraney? What is- <laughs> he drinks a raw egg, like a raw egg mixture, and he just sits down and asks his kids about responsibilities. <laughs> like at first I thought he was like using a thing I'd ever seen. Like at first I thought he was using like using a blender to make scrambled eggs or something, which I found weird. But like, okay, maybe maybe it's meant to communicate that he's not doing well. I, like he doesn't really know how to kitchen or something. No, he's just. <laughs> He's just blending a raw egg with something and drinking it. And then he's like, like orange juice. He's lecturing the kid of responsibility. I'm like, dude, you, what are you drinking? What are you putting in your body? 
And like the thing is, as a kid, that made me want to hurt. Like I was, I was not a kid that like ate bugs, and I had forgotten how much that scene was disgusting until I watched it just now. I was like, oh my god, did he just drink a raw egg? I had forgotten how much I hated that. I like that all three of us clicked on that one immediately. Like. Because it's, well, it's also, with well, the because, like, of Sarah, as a child, Jeremiah and I didn't because, remember this at all. As a child, you don't see it because it's in the background. No, I And as a teenager, you become that sort of like smoky dick and you notice it. And you're like, yeah. Then as an owl, you're like, you become very worried about what he's doing. <laughs> well, and like, like, the thing is, is like, is that. It's one of those moments, it's like, is that just one of those things that German people do that they assumed would translate, like the weird square backpack <laughs> the kid has, that they like, it, they didn't cotton, like, oh, they don't, they don't do that. Like, like, what is that? What is happening with that? Of everything in that movie that it's surreal and nonsensical, a man blending a liquid egg, sitting down, looking his 12-year-old son in the eye and saying, why are you failing math just because your mom is dead, making eye contact and drinking an egg smoothie is the moment that's just like, oh. it's insane. Out of everything in that movie, I want an oral history about that moment. I want McGraney on record. I want to hear Peterson side yeah, of the story. I want a, I want a Ken Burns documentary wanna... explaining how we got here. Was Volcano just sitting there going, what the hell is he doing? Do you see this? <laughs> Am I the only I, one seeing this? I just want to point out how much that lends to the theory because like, it, it's very weird the way that uh, Bastion doesn't make eye contact with his dad and is kind of spacey. And you can interpret it as like sort of like a sad, traumatized child. Or you could even like look at it through the vent through a lens of like an actual disorder like possibly being on the spectrum or here's my theory schizo some sort of schizophrenic disorder with intense delusions and really what the movie is at the end is just him falling into a delusional state that he will never awaken from because it's better than living with this and the fact that his father drinks smoothie raw eggs shows it's genetic his affect is so inappropriate for his wife dying and he just drinks the egg with his <laughs> The real villain is people not being taken care of. God. The views expressed in this podcast and never presents the views expressed by the. No, you see, the the, the real villain is a lack of uh, of psychological care being shown to these people who are, are you know in need of, of support. That's that's really what's going on. I mean, in all that's honesty, all the time we have today. In all honesty, we don't know how long ago Sebastian's mom died, but to be honest, no one seems to care that this yeah. child's mom died. And I think that they'll be like, I think the undercurrent of these movies is like, man. No one really does care if you're in pain. Like no one like <laughs> this principle is like so mad when you yeah, get over your you dad disappearing and abandoning your family and she's like my world makes no sense. I will never <laughs> stop being upset about this. And the principal gets this look on his face like, "Oh yeah." I bet Well, then he's like, knows. "Hey, where are you going? Don't disrespect me. Come back here." What? I'm very <laughs> <you>. <laughs> And then her mom is like, you need to write an apology letter to the girl that made fun of your disappeared father and, like, your genius younger brother who's adopted and said that, like, like made fun of the fact that he's adopted and that your father is a genius who disappeared. And it's like, uh, I will appreciate Storm Reed gave a look of, are you freaking kidding me? Yeah, yeah. I, I do. I know that we're out of time and I don't care. Um, I will be done in just a second. <laughs> I do want to point out 
that when I was in school and a kid said something like that to me and I broke his nose that my mother took me out for ice cream. So <laughs> again, when you well, said that really lesson. wasn't important when lesson everyone if you if you treat your child like a movie parent does they will not grow up to be kara so make your choices <laughs> my mom is very proud of me i bought a house <laughs> i would just like to say that when you say the movie's like a wrinkle in time like we're meant for someone else i'm like yeah someone with a lot more money and a lot crazier parents <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's all the time we have for now say goodbye Karen. Thad. all hail the space empress yeah, well, death to the space, uh, Emperor. All right, we won't be back next month because we're taking a one-month break, but we'll be back whatever the month after that is. I'm time has no meaning. Uh, July, my month. The no, month oh is God. mine. No, it'll July. be June, wouldn't it? No, we're going to be gone for June, and we'll be back in July. Okay, oh, that's yeah, that's... birthday. That's Thad's birthday. <laughs> well, 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 that's going to suck. Okay, goodbye, everybody. Bye, Bye everybody.